Welcome to Energy Radio, and my name is Lisa Katz. I will be your host today as part of a special part two of two segment related to CEM's 30 by 30 initiative, which was started by Engineers Canada and is aimed at raising the percentage of women engineers by 30% by 2030. We're using this podcast or this medium as a way to help educate and inspire women and their employees on how to attract female talent, get involved in the engineering community, and retain women through the course of their careers. With that, I'd like to introduce our special guest today. Welcome, Joanna Osaway. Osaway. There we go. I think I got that right, right, Joanna? You sure did. Okay, good. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. This is so great, Lisa. You know, I think you're doing a tremendous job with this podcast. I can't wait to uh, get into the discussion. So thanks again for having me. You're most welcome. You're most welcome. So I I have followed you a little bit, mainly through Wire, um, but I know you are also uh, the business development manager with ABB, and you've been in the energy space because I had to take a little bit of a look at your LinkedIn profile for a very long time. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, the evolution of your career, how you got involved in energy and what just brought you to the sector in general? Certainly. So I've been, it's been a long time, as you put it, being in the energy sector. For 10 years of my career, I did spend building commercial wind projects, one in Digby, Nova Scotia, and the other one in Roscoe, Texas. So that was really great. Um, I actually was applying, I've been trying to get into the renewable space back in 2003, 2004 at the time. And uh, because I'm not an engineer, it was um, a little bit of a tough situation to sort of maneuver around. Um, I actually got called in for a by a recruiter and for a good year or two prior to me coming into the sector, I was really working hard to, you know, to be able to get in or enter this great electrification and electrifying, you know, sector. Nonetheless, I the recruiter called me and said that I was there and I, I had applied for a job in the pharmaceutical world, believe it or not. Once I got to the interview, lo and behold, it was so great. The lady's like, how would you like to work in the, you know, renewable space, you know, specifically oh, wow. commercial wind? So uh, that is how exactly my career started. Within three weeks of joining uh, the organization, I actually, the, the president at the time said, okay, get yourself a ticket to New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. You're going out there and you're a wind developer. Um, wow. Being in my 20s, having no idea what was happening, um, I had to learn very quickly on how to work with stakeholders, get through permitting, lease lands, talk to archaeologists, ornithologists, and so forth. So really, it was a huge learning experience. And I was so happy that for a decade, I was able to be in that space. And I worked in the United States as well. And then upon my return, I went into protection control and SCADA systems. And um, in parallel, I started WIRE, um, so Women in Renewable Energy, back in 2012, and then launched in 2013. Um, and I've had, I've always had two full-time jobs, one that pays and one that doesn't. Wow, that's amazing. And and let's talk a little bit about the wire piece. Why did you start that? Uh, Women in Renewable Energy, again, just for our listeners, that's what that wire stands for. Why did you start that in the first place? Was it to try to bring more women into the space or what was the thought process there? It was certainly that. Uh, I think that being the only female always boots on the ground, whether it was at a construction sites, at open houses, uh, even at my company, there really was no females or underrepresented groups working in the sector. 
Um, when I started out, it was also very brand new. Um, it was a very an emerging technology. It was a very new technology that we were all really learning. So, I mean, engineer or not engineer, all of us were at the starting line, having no idea how to build these wind commercial wind farms. And, you know, I kept lamenting and lamenting to my husband, there's no women, there's no women and underrepresented groups. And he's like, well, stop talking about it, do something about it. So that's what I did. I did something about it. And uh, even in 2021, I wish that the numbers were a lot, the volume, I, I just wish that there would be more women joining this wonderful space um, and underrepresented groups. I think that we still have to have these awkward conversations, unfortunately. Um, I do feel that when I did start um, WIRE and launched it in 2013, I was getting really derogatory comments from people within our industry. You know, even at uh, trade shows, we would have space for our booze. People would come up and say, well, do I need to put on a wig or a skirt to join? Oh, um, I received comments that I was segregating the industry instead of bringing it, you know, everyone together. And that actually infuriated me, those comments. Yeah. So actually, I ended up, uh, honestly, th that's the reason why wires spread so far, because again, with the continuous, uh, you know, success is also of people wanting to join, um, having a great board of directors, having an amazing advisory committee and subcommittees and so forth. You know, that really drove me uh, to continue on on this journey. And, um, you know, I think that it's been such a blessing to be able to be part of the WIRE community, WIRE family. You know, I don't, um, my husband and I, we have no pets, no plants, no kids. So WIRE, um, I like to <laughs> No <call> plants. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> so this is my baby, my daughter, WIRE. So she's now nine and uh, we're in every single province in Canada, including the territories. Uh, we have now expanded international, internationally, so we have WIRE Azerbaijan, Turkey, Georgia, Jordan, UAE, and we are now opening up WIRE Italy and Africa. So we're super, super excited on that continuous expansion. Wow, that's amazing. So, so I joined the energy space in 2006 or 2007. And before that, I came from the environmental sector. So I was dealing with basically emission control systems on, you know, mining and construction, natural gas compression, the yachting sector. But I, you know, in at, in those days, because I was in that sector for almost a decade, well, very actually close to, yeah, I'd say about a decade, there were very few women. I remember marching into boardrooms and I was the only woman in the boardroom. And then what was interesting is, you know, and again, 2006, 2007, I joined the energy space and I was going to conferences and I was going to, you know, see clients and there were so many more women. And I was, I was so intrigued. I was so excited because I was thinking, wow, I'm not the only one anymore. This is kind of nice. Right. So, and then I've seen it, you know, now being part of the energy sector since then, I've seen it grow substantially in terms of the number of women that are joining the space. So I think, you know, what you and, you know, the WIRE team are doing is just fantastic. Uh, you know, keep it up. I think it's great. Um, and uh, yeah, just certainly nice to see that many more women joining. So, all right, well, let's get into the kind of podcast a little bit. And obviously, because this podcast segment is part of a larger internal objective that we have at CEM, uh, which again is to hire 30 uh, women engineers by 2030. I'd like to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, women working in male dominated sectors and just maybe get a little bit of understanding how the experience has been for you. You've shared some of that, you know, already to some degree, obviously with, with starting up WIRE. 
Um, and, and maybe any other hardships you've experienced along the way. So, you know, maybe, you, you know, separate from wire, since you've already touched on it, you know, when you were in the wind development side, you know, now at ABB, you know, what have you experienced through your, the course of your career in that regard? That's a great question. And thank you for that. Um, I think that, you know, I'm going to first start off by, you know, um, thanking all my sponsors, male champions, because really it's thanks to them where I am, um, you know, having these male champions that have an internal and integral part of continuing my success and my growth and my ambitious ambition as well. Um, you know, and I do call them sponsors because it is very different than a mentor. Uh, a mentor is there to really kind of navigate you, provide you sort of that support, whereas a sponsor is really that individual that takes it to the next step, that really will recommend you for that position, will really provide you those um, those recommendations that, yes, this uh, individual is the best person for the position. Um, you know, of course, just as any of us have felt obstacles and hardships within our careers, um, I certainly have had you know, not the most pleasant at times um, situation, you know, again, being at construction sites, being the only female has mm -hmm. not always been the most pleasant, um, has not always been, you know, the most welcoming, let's put it that way, you right. know, it's a woman doing in this space, like what can, you know, she's not fit enough, she's not, you know, strong enough, uh, you know, comments such as those as well. Um, I think that also, you know, one of the things that I love about ABB is that they are so welcoming and they really put their money where their mouth is when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion. And uh, they're so proud of the fact that I am part of WIRE, that I'm the president and CEO. They, they really support and champion me. So I think that that's really key. Um, and I really, again, I can't um, thank them enough for bringing me on as well, because, again, they've not only brought me on, but they brought wire on in a lot of ways. So it's been great. Uh, some of the other hardships, I mean, you know, again, derogatory comments have always flown. And I think that uh, some of them have been really inappropriate. I think that the differences between 2012 and 2021 is that we're now masking. We're now, you know, these comments are behind the curtain. They're not as transparent. They're still there but they're not as transparent as they were previously. Mm, yeah, no, I totally agree. And, uh, and, and, and let's talk a little bit about when you were growing up, like, did you experience from your parents, any of these kind of gender biases or societal expectations, or were they pretty open to your involvement in, you know, Granted, like, you know, you got started in the, you, you know, you were trying to get into the energy sector, but, you know, did you have any of that or were your parents pretty supportive about you kind of, I don't know, playing with trucks in the sandbox or I don't know what, right? Like, you know, just things that would be out of the norm typically for, for women. So my mom was a microbiologist and my father wow. a mechanical engineer. So I think that because my parents really made sure that as, that I grew up as an individual, <clears> that. <throat> You know, I did not look at myself as a female or a male that, you know, I was able to support myself and that, you know, I had a voice and they always really, again, championed me uh, and made me feel as if I was an individual and not, you know, necessarily, you know, here's some pink or blue, you know, there's no, you know, there's no that identification towards one specific uh, gender. It was, you're an individual, you can do whatever you want, if not better than 
anyone else. So, you know, I think that growing up, I had my mom and dad really being extremely supportive at all times. And and I think that that's also another reason where I am today. Um, unfortunately, my mom passed away when I was 21. I was quite young at the oh. time. And that definitely took a huge impression on my formative years. And I think that that really, again, um, that changed my entire outlook on life as well. I mean, you know, I think being young at the time, um, my brother was 16 as well, so we were quite young, both of us. But I think that, you know, I am where I am again because of the hardships, I think, and, you know, the struggles. And I know that she would be super proud. I know that, uh, you know, she's definitely looking down on me, I think, I hope. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I think, again, my father is extremely supportive as well. He thinks this is a great organization. Um, I think that at times I have to still educate him on certain things and biases, but uh, that's the journey that we're on at WIRE. Yeah, I, I love what you said at the very beginning there where, you know, it's it's not like they pushed you towards a specific gender bias. Like you were, you know, you didn't think of yourself as male or female in the sense that it was, you could do whatever you really wanted to. You could identify with whatever and just, you know, and, and I think that's so important. And I've uh, I've mentored a, many women in the energy space since joining it in, you know, 2006, 2007. And they always ask me, you know, uh, you know, in terms of my success and where I've ended up today, you know, how, how have I done that, how I've achieved it. And I've always said, I really, I don't think of myself in the industry as a male or a female. I just do the best job that I can possibly do. And that's where it sits, right? And I know one of our engineers, we interviewed, interviewed her not very, uh, not long ago. Um, for our listeners, we have uh, Alex Quinlan. We did an interview with her, uh, which is actually over a, a video interview. This is going back a couple months ago, but available on our YouTube channel. And she said the exact same thing. It's not about, you know, being the best woman or male engineer. It's about being the best engineer. And so I, I just, I think about that all the time. And, you know, when I'm mentoring women, I like to, you know, put that that note uh, in their heads just so they're always thinking about that, right? Um, so, you know, we've talked about gender biases a little bit, uh, you know, growing up and, and certainly within your career. What do you think women are still facing today in terms of gender biases? So, you know, I think of those um you know grade nine grade 10 women who really are just at the point of having to decide what type of career they want i think about women like yourself who were trying to get into the energy space like you know what what type of biases are are women facing still today that we still have to deal with so i talk about this often and i feel like it's an hr related issue. It's the way that we, or the way job descriptions are written. I think that uh, unfortunately, a lot of it are triggered towards male. Uh, I do find, and I, when I mentor women in the sector and underrepresented groups, I certainly always talk about not boxing yourself in because, and I, what I'm taught, what I mean boxing is you don't have to meet every single qualification or requirement on that job description. Men don't. So why do we? Right. So yeah, I, that's one of the, you know, I, I think that we're so, uh, we like to do be very diligent, but that's, I, I really, again, I'm not an engineer. Every single position I've held in the energy sector, that was the first requirement. Mm. Well, here I it's, am. It, 
it's interesting because I'm not an engineer either. So, uh, but, but, you know, I think uh, Martin Lensink, our founder, he hired me because he called me, you know, for our, one of our first interviews together, a gearhead, because I used to race motocross in my teens and I worked on my own engines and he was a kind of a turbine specialist, a gas turbine specialist. And he really wanted somebody who knew reciprocating engines. And, and I guess, well, I'm the resident gearhead, I guess we'll call it on staff, but you know, most women who would be working for an engineering firm in a business development or marketing position, often they would be engineers, right? So I feel that I'm pretty lucky that, uh, you know, I certainly got hired by CEM to do this, uh, this wonderful job and be part of this great community. And I love the fact that you talked about the, you know, the, the way that job descriptions are written. It has actually come up several times. We have, um, as part of the 30 by 30 initiative, we have these regular meetings every couple of weeks just for us to talk about where we are and what we want to do in terms of talking at universities and colleges and, um, you know, different schools uh, to try to promote women in the engineering and the energy sector. And one of the areas that our team actually brought up in our last meeting, interestingly enough, was the way that we write our job descriptions. And so we're sending our job descriptions out to multiple people within the firm, male and female, to try to figure figure out from a you know an, another person's point of view whether we are creating some biases in those job descriptions and making sure that that's not part of it that we are being very inclusive that way. So no, that's that's interesting. Now you at Wire are are actually involved in your own uh, type of 30 by 30 initiative. I think it's called Equal by 30. Is that right? Yes. Can you talk to us a little bit about this and why it matters to uh, to Wire? Sure. Well, we're not only, you know, signatories and uh, advocates for 30 by 30, which is an which is equal opportunity, equal pay and equal leadership for women by 2030. But we're also uh, signatories and ambassadors of Electricity Human Resources Canada on the Gender Leadership Accord on Gender yeah. Diversity. Uh, we certainly advocate and promote both of uh, these organizations. Uh, EHRC is a partner of ours, NRCAN, the federal government we work with very closely as well. Um, when I provided my intervention at the G7, they asked me to really focus on the Equal by 30 uh, campaign and really focus on the energy sector. So. Since then, I definitely provide my intervention and um, a lot of the G7 member states were really quite open and welcoming to have wire in uh, their respective countries. So again, we are working with the G7 member states. We continue to advocate for EHRC and the Equal by 30 campaign, both of them. I think that um, the Leadership Accord on Gender Diversity, which is again led by EHRC, is you sign, but you have to be audited as well. It's not one of those things that you just put your signature on paper. There's actually steps towards it. Um, Michelle Brannigan, who's the president and CEO, is just phenomenal, Lisa. You and her would get along so well. Um, she has so much to talk about in that the DNI space. And I think that that's someone that you would definitely um, maybe consider definitely doing a podcast. She's quite... Uh, well, I'll have to get her contact information afterwards. That's great. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's that's awesome. So what what are, like what do these some of these uh, steps look like in terms of, you know, you getting audited? I think that's a great idea because it's making sure presumably that you're kind of trekking along and hitting those kind of milestones. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, you have to have a committee, you have to have um, these milestones set out and, you know, they EHRC works with you in, in regards to making and implementing them. So, again, I think that uh, 
for WIRE, just we're an ambassador and advocate. Um, we have signed up and, uh, you know, we are women run. <laughs> we have one, we definitely have male volunteers. We do have our male CFO as well. Um, but otherwise, you know, the majority, 99%, it's really women led. Um, and I wow. like to make sure that all the different cultures are included because, you know, just looking at our own backyard, in Toronto, we have over 117 spoken languages, yet the energy sector is being dominated and operated by males, white males. The answer is not white females either. You know, so I'm very um, sensitive when it comes to making sure that we bring the entire, all of us together. And even being Wire International, I like to use the term global, be global, but act local. So, okay. and, you know, programs that we have here on the Canadian segment may not necessarily be applicable in the UAE or Jordan or UAE. So we work with the respective chapter leads out of those countries to ensure that the right programs are being allocated in their regions. Very interesting. No, that's great. And when we think about, you know, I, I'm just thinking about some of the people that might be listening to this podcast, which include, you know, various companies and maybe even some CEOs and CFOs and COOs. How, when we think about retention specifically, retention of women, um, you know, I, I think of, you know, you know, at a point in, in, in a lot of women's lives, they decide that they're going to have a family. They're going to maybe step back for a period of time. There's maternity leave. I Like in, in this sector, like, man, things are changing so fast that, you know, I, our business over the last six to eight months has evolved so fast that I can't even just fathom what it would be like you know, for women to step away for that amount of time and come back and, and they'd be lost almost, right? But but how can, you know, employers retain women, um, you know, during some of those crucial steps of, you know, when, they're, when they are thinking about creating families or, you know, maybe through an illness or I don't know, like there's a whole bunch of other things, you know, that the, the maternity leave kind of comes up to me as the number one thing only because, Typically, it's women that are, you know, leaving the workforce to uh, have children and because unfortunately men can't have them. <laughs> uh, but but there's also another piece to that, I think. And that's, you know, women are not necessarily always paid the same as men. Um, there's maybe some stigmas associated with men leaving the workforce for parental leave and taking care of the child instead of the woman staying, you know, in their career. So what, what are your thought processes in terms of um, just getting overall retention? It doesn't have to be specifically with maternity leave or anything like that, but but just overall in terms of retaining women throughout their careers. You know, I think that the pandemic has, um, has changed the entire, all the sectors all around. I think that there's, um, there's more trust and I'm talking about men and women working in the sector. Uh, I think that we've had to adapt working from home. Um, I think that um, there is no such thing as life and work balance at this point because it's just meeting after meeting after meeting. Um, you and I both traveled all the time, you know, getting into an Uber, getting to the airport, sitting at the lounge, getting on an airplane. There was downtime, you know, getting yeah. to that. And so I think that uh, right now with the retention of women, I think it's also employees are seeing that 
or employers are seeing that we're able to 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 have that trust, we're able to work from home. I think that the pandemic has really changed that platform. Uh, I do think that um, women are still underpaid. That's that's it's unfortunate because again, we're still having these awkward discussions. Um, I think that also, you know, unfortunately, women, you know, whether it comes to maternity leave, uh, women are. If they have ailing and aging parents, they're the ones that are typically having to look after them. Um, I think that, um, again, the pandemic has demonstrated that, you know, we have to adapt to these situations and we have to do this extremely fast. Like it was overnight, basically, that yeah. all of us to to really change and adapt to this virtual world, um, you know. I feel, and you know, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about this because I'm I don't have children, and I find myself um, when I have been through certain interviews, having to let them, I, you know, HR can't ask you, but I would actually give that willingly, based exactly to your point. It's like, well, okay, there's that thought process behind ever, you know, every employee. It's like, okay, well, is she going to leave or what's going to happen? And I I, I always been so again giving I almost wish I haven't I like I I wish I never had to talk about me not having kids and because again it's not a handicap this is a part of life it's part of you know of of nature it's part of our human nature so you know and I felt that you know by saying by letting HR know that I'm not having kids it was actually going to give me an advantage so Mm. it's been it's, you know, I'm disappointed that I had to do so. But again, I think that this pandemic has really, truly changed that entire platform and the way, you know, whether we have to come in later because, you know, someone had to drop off the kids at school or someone has to go pick them up, you know, children get sick. So there's so many different layers to it. And I think that that um, the pandemic is helping us adapt to different um, to different ways of you know, providing for our families. Yeah. So it sounds like a big aspect is the flexibility part, which it's hard to say because every company is a little bit different, but I think a lot of companies have learned a lot throughout the course of the pandemic. So maybe, you know, obviously the pandemic hurt everybody in a lot of ways, but maybe it hit, you know, at the right time from a, from a just encouraging change, right. From that perspective, because I think a lot lot more employers are understanding that, you know, workers do need that flexibility, that they can work in the evenings if they've got young children. They can work at various parts of the day. Um, and so I'm hoping and uh, maybe through this podcast also encouraging, you know, companies to kind of keep up with that flexibility because I think it has helped parents in general. Um, I think it, you know, will continue to help women in the industry as they're kind of navigating parenthood and you know taking time off um and i think it's uh i think it's a good thing i think it's a good thing overall um and and then the other part you talked about was equal pay and uh you know i've thought a little bit about this as well i just i don't know how we kind of get around that piece other than more companies more leaders standing up um within their own organizations and realizing that you know maybe there was a gap years ago and trying to, you know, bring that gap in and and realize that, uh, you know, a female engineer or a male engineer with the equivalent, you know, number of years of experience should be paid, you know, the same. Um, but I don't know if you have any other ideas on how to get kind of around that piece. So interestingly enough, we um, 
some of the wire advisory committee members and uh, board of directors, we had a similar discussion not too long ago. And someone in the group stated, we just need to talk about what we're making. Because that's, and I, you know, that's going to change. If we don't talk about it, you know, we're not, we, again, we need to make sure that the gap is even and that, you know, both, you know, men and women and everyone are getting paid the same because, again, it's about the best person doing that job. It's not about, you know, again, which gender is the right gender for that yeah. position. So, and I thought that that was really interesting, you know, talking about it, you know, and not being ashamed of it because it's such a stigma to talk about what your salary is. It's taboo and nobody wants to talk about it. But I think that I, and again, that made me think, I was like, that's interesting. I'm, I think that we need to talk about what we make more often. So we actually are able to share and make sure that again, we're, we're getting on that equal balance. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but I guess, yeah, the idea is, you know, just having an open discussion between, you know, a, uh, you know, a male and a female or just in general, what, what we're getting paid within a company to make sure that we're kind of hitting the right bars. What if, what if somebody does that though? And, you know, it could be, a, it could be a male or it could be a female and they find it that they're way below what their, you know, uh, you know, their equivalent is um, of the opposite sex. You know, do the do you would you encourage them to approach their management or um, to, to to you know see if they could they could you know increase their pay or like what do you think that that looks like to try and bring that gap together? I think that absolutely bring it to, up to management because I think that again it goes back to you know we're all people. If it's not talked about, nothing's going to be done. So right. I think that um, being quite assertive about it and confident and addressing it forefront will be key um, to ensure that that, again, gap is where, you know, there there is no gap at that point. Yeah, no, that's that's great. So if you were speaking to your younger self uh, and you were, you know, you know, going back to the when you're trying to get into the energy space, um, you know, what would you what what? advice I guess would you provide to your younger self or to just you know young women who are you know encouraged by our sector and uh you know you want to get involved what advice would you provide them with start networking as soon as possible mm. grow your network your network is your net worth um why at wire we started wire student chapters so we are now a partner with Ontario Tech University University of Windsor uh, York University, UFT as well. So we're continuing that growth, just like we have chapters in the provinces. So we're now targeting the academias. Uh, we're also partnered with Skills Ontario to ensure that young, the, the children are having a better understanding on the different jobs and skill traits because, you know, skill traits and what the, what we're doing in um, the energy sector, they're, you know, skill trades and energy are married together. I mean, we need to have people that are able to build infrastructure or be on construction site when it comes to commercial wind or solar, you know, or nuclear. There's so many different varieties. Um, so I think that, again, network and network and network. Mm. No, that's that's great. And what what does that? Maybe you can touch on this the the chapters that you have. How does that work with the universities? Like, are you guys speaking to universities, or how how is that being organized? So we work with uh, the specific um, specific uh, departments, so engineering departments typically, 
and we actually have wire student chapters they're actually the lead oh, and wow. so we so we have them leading that leading these events um we of course support them so if you go on our website you can definitely look at the different wire student chapters and all the amazing leaders that we have because we definitely want to highlight these leaders because they are making a difference you know and i think that uh, that's really important and it takes a lot of um no i wouldn't say courage but it takes you know it takes dedication as well and not only being a student you know you're you're already having to you're having exams you're having tests there's so much um there's so much schoolwork to be done right but i think that it's it's great to get that extracurricular activity because mm -hmm. again it gives them that platform of knowing that there's other women out there that will be there to support and help them to that you know that next phase once they do come out of university or college or whatnot that's fantastic i think that's great um so we've spoken about you know obviously gender diversity and you know just uh you know gender inclusion uh, throughout the course of this podcast but of course you've been in the energy space for a very long time so i want to ask you a question that we ask a lot of our guests at least more recently we have been and that is kind of the you know where, where do you think that the the energy space is headed there's a lot of technologies out there there's a lot of discussion about electrifying everything um, or a kind of a good balance between, I will call it electrification and supporting molecules, so to speak, like, you know, renewable natural gas and hydrogen and things like that in the pipeline. What's, what's your view of, uh, you know, of where the industry is going and do you support one side over the other? That's a great question. I'm so, you know, I think that I'm so intrigued by the energy sector as a whole. I think that, you know, I, most people don't think about, you know, flipping the light switch on. They don't think about the reliability. They don't think of the performance. They don't think of the safety of the grid. Um, I think what's so exciting about our industry is that there are continuously emerging technologies that are coming out. And we get to learn about these emerging technologies and get involved and, you know, learn from one from one another. And, you know, back, you know, in the 1990s, those co-generation plants that were the activity of the day. Then we moved on to, you know, renewables. Then it was, you know, mining took a dip. Infrastructure started getting built out. So, you know, the future has so many exciting things within our space. And, uh, you know, some people have said to me, well, Joanna, you don't have a James Bond type of career. Well, I disagree. I think I have the James Bond of careers. And I think it's fantastic. There's so much excitement at all times. And there's, you know, amazing people just like you're yourself, Lisa, that, you know, we get to meet, you know, and my colleagues have become friends. So I think that um, I welcome everybody into the sector. It's, it's, we're very welcoming. <laughs> we're always supportive. So I think that, uh, you know, that's something that, that needs to be demystified, that it's not, that it's a boring sector because it's definitely far from it. Right. The bigger question, I think, since you have the James Bond careers, do you have the car with all the gadgets? <laughs> working on those. <laughs> working on it, eh? So have we, as we start to kind of wrap up this podcast and close things, have we forgotten anything that you want to mention or that we didn't discuss at all? I just want to say thank you, Lisa, for doing this. I think this is really a great platform and it's educational for all of your listeners. And I think that, you know, for everyone to know that we're wires here to support and assist and uh, we're always a very welcoming group and uh, we're looking forward to um, people joining us. So thanks again. 
Yeah, no problem at all. And if people want to get in contact with you directly, uh, you know, is there a certain place that they should find you or reach out to you? Of course, you can always send an email to info at womeninrenewableenergy.ca or visit our website at womeninrenewableenergy.ca. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube as well. So again, please get involved, sign up to our newsletter. We're always having events and we always welcome your participation. That's great. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. It has actually been, I don't even know how many months since you and I have last talked, maybe even close to a year uh, from what I recollect. Uh, But it was great. And thank you to all our listeners who listen to Energy Radio. Uh, This was episode 59. And for our listeners, if you have any comments or questions or uh, guests even that you can suggest that you'd like to hear on the show, please feel free to reach out to you. Out to me, my email is lisa at cemeng.ca. Thank you very much, guys.